everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Caffeine and Cats, a creepy podcast. I'm your co-host, Abby, along with Caitlin and Lou. We missed you guys last week, but we're back and have some creepy ghost stories for you today. Before we get started, we wanted to remind you to follow us on social media. You can find us at Caffeine and Cats Pod on Instagram and Caffeine and Cats Podcast on Facebook. Give us a like and leave a review if you enjoy hearing our stories. But first, how are you ladies doing today? Hey, I'm good. Actually, happy that this is a long weekend. Um... So I get to relax a nice. bit. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Caitlin? Yep, I'm doing good too. I'm looking forward to a long week off and hopefully getting a million and two things done. What about Abby? I'm only a little bit jealous of you guys, but I'm good. <laughs> Nothing too exciting. Lucia, do you want to go ahead and get started? Yep. So, okay. So you guys know I'm pretty skeptical when it comes to haunted stuff, spirits and demons. But this case was more of a social phenomenon that I was not aware of. Uh, But mostly because back then, I was just watching cartoons rather than the news. Um, And I think you guys weren't even born. (laughs) 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 My story is about the haunted house in General Madariaga. This story took hours and hours and tons of newspapers clips back then, talking about a small haunted house by evil spirits the alleged supernatural powers of a 10-year-old boy who was very stigmatized both by media and police, a cop that alarmed the whole city, and in the middle of all that, a small family house where everyone from town and even outside of town got inside. But let me start from the beginning. Back in February of 1993, a small humble house situated in General Madariaga, Buenos Aires, was where Vivian Maria Ferreira, her her daughter, Julia Ramona, and her grandkid, Julio Nazareno Nahuel, lived. According to all of them, one night, while they were all sleeping, a plastic cup that was holding a light bulb fell from the table, and that was just the start. Julia said that she went to check, and all of the candles that were lighting the kitchen put out at all at the same time. When she was about to bolt out of the kitchen, she saw how all the drawers opened and closed. Then she saw a knife come out of one of the drawers, fly across the room, and get stuck on the opposite wall. She snapped out of the shock and ran back into the bedroom, where her son and mother were now awake. Suddenly, sheets, covers, and pillows started being pulled off of the beds, the doors of the closet starting opening and closing, allowing the clothes to fly out of it. And lastly, a bedside table moved across the wall back and forth. They got out of the house and ran to the police station that was on the same block in their street, just a few meters away. Of course, they were not taken seriously. During the whole day, strange things kept occurring. Given this was a small town, around um, what I could find about back then, 20,000 people. The news spread fast, and the following Monday, a large group of curious people had gathered at the entrance of the house, trying to look inside and be witness of the paranormal events. The family said that they, were, that they saw things like shoes walking by themselves and doors opening and closing. Even neighbors said that suddenly they saw potatoes all over the house's garden, potatoes no one had ever seen the day before and that now they were just there. Potatoes? Potatoes, yes. I just wanted to make sure I heard you right. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, but <laughs> let's put a pin on that. Now, uh People will stand there for hours until the police finally came to see what the, f- what the whole fuss was about. The deputy, Claudio Mejicias, started to start, stated on record, sorry, when inside, 
he witnessed odd things and therefore decided to set a police custodian in the house. So then a judge came to inspect the house. By then the media was already talking about the whole thing in the papers and TV. The media talked about this for five months. Television show came, shows came to record the inside and interview the family and started the theory that maybe the young boy had special powers and was the culprit in causing all the strange things. A local tarot reader, Susie Lopez, was the first to appear on television to speak on the subject. She told the news that this was all caused by a poltergeist. By the way, she was a local. Then, an evangelist priest, also from town, appeared, Pedro Istisharte, saying that he was certain that this was caused by an evil spirit. In fact, he claimed that once the family gets rid of it, it will come back seven times stronger. And put a pin on his name too, because he will come back at the end of my story. A travel agency even added the house as a hotspot for visitors. Again, this was talked about for five long months. Um, one day, a couple of paranormal experts from Mar del Plata, another city on the coast of Buenos Aires, told the family that all those unexplainable things were caused by the late grandfather, Timoteo, whom was not properly buried, and they had a vision of a white-haired man near his 90s, sitting on the edge of the bed. That's the description of any 90-year-old, if you ask me. Now, these experts did a spiritual cleansing all over the house and the property, and then nothing else occurred. The evil spirit left as quick as it had arrived. Suddenly, in April, the neighbor, <clears throat> one of their neighbors, Mario Caroleo, told the media the story that he got close to the house to hear how the family was doing, and he could see different objects falling from the roof of the house. He ran and hid behind a tree, and he was then able to see how Nazareno, the boy, was throwing stuff from the window up to the roof. And there came the doubt that maybe all this was a call of attention. Not long after that, a woman that lived across the street one night to show her kids that the whole thing was a fake, she hid behind a car and started throwing potatoes to the haunted house yard to show them that nothing was happening. Those same potatoes were the ones that, that taken as something highly paranormal and strange because by this time everybody was super convinced this was in fact a haunted house. What ended up bearing this story and making the media move on was when the family started asking for money in return of interviews, which is totally valid given their whole life, house and privacy was bombarded constantly for months by both the whole town and media. People were divided on what had actually happened. I mean, was this a whole plan to get attention and money or was this house final free of such a spirit? But this is not the end. Back in 2018, when the 25th anniversary of the story happened, the papers published a report from an interview with a kid, Nazareno, now an adult, whom a lot of people accused back then and decided to tell his story of the of the his version of the story. Sorry. All of this caused due to vengeance. These were her words. Both his mother, grandma, and him attended a local church. The priest was Pedro Estisharte. Yeah, the same one that I said that that said that the evil spirit will come back seven times stronger. That's a very wow. odd number for me. Yeah. So apparently the family started to feel uncomfortable with his mass and the way he acted back then. 
since, according to Nazareno, the priest had fallen in love with his mother. They decided to leave the church, making the priest super pissed. In fact, when they broke the news to him, the guy said that as soon as they leave the church, a demon will be waiting for them. This even made the rest of the church goers to apparently wake evil spirits to haunt the family. Nazareno said that after the cleansing of those two people that came from Mar de Plata, all was good and the house was normal as any other. Now, there hasn't been any other reported house that had this amount of media on top for so long and yet with no evidence, since all of this is based on testimonies. So that's my whole story. What I found wow. amusing is that apparently things did happen, but because there's no record on anything, it's... We don't know whether those things really happened or right. maybe the priest did something. Wow. That's, yeah, that's hard so creepy. Tell. Yeah. Yep. That's a good story, though. I liked it. Thank you. So what about yours? All right. My story. So my story doesn't have quite as much detail as yours did. Um, but as I was researching it, even though I had learned about the topic in school, I had never heard about what happened at this specific city. So I wanted to roll with it. And today I'm going to be talking about Belchite, Spain. So Belchite is a township in the northeast of Spain. And in a span of just two weeks in 1937, during the Spanish Civil War, thousands of soldiers, men, women, and children were murdered within the city. After the war, Franco ordered the abandonment of the town so it could be a living memorial to the victims. And Belchite had been a strategic town since the 11, 1100s and had seen its fair share of war throughout the centuries, but it all paled in comparison to what happened in 1937. So in 1937, the Republican forces were trying to capture Zaragoza, the capital city of Aragon, and this caused the nationalists, led by Francisco Franco, to move 10,000, sorry, excuse me, 100,000 troops into the Providence. At that point, the water supply to Belchete was cut off and the residents were trapped inside, where they were then starved and shot at from the hills. That was soon followed by house-to-house -house battles during the last week of August and the first week of September. And the reason that there were house-to-house -house battles were because there were soldiers, Republican, or not Republic, yes, Republican soldiers um, within the village themselves. So the nationalists were coming to fight them. And according to the diaries of witnesses, bodies were stacked up in the town square and at one point reached over a story high. So the bodies were then covered in gasoline and set on fire. There were also other bodies that were tossed down in underground olive oil press covered in lime, and the entrance was sealed, so the bodies still remain there to this day. And then, there has never been an official recorded death toll from this battle, but eyewitness accounts estimate about 5,000 people, including many civilians, and the population oh, wow. of the town was only 3,000 at the time. So, Oh, goodness, yeah. And then, a little weird fact I found was that Ernest Hemingway actually arrived at the township soon after the battle, and recorded the destruction, the bodies, and the flies within his own writings. And then they moved and built a new city, literally like a couple hundreds of meters away, and basically called it New Belchete. 
So Okay, so just, you know, forget about everything and what happened. We're just going to rebuild. Just move on over. Yep. Okay. Logical. (laughs) Yeah, totally makes sense. (laughs) So today, the ruins of historical buildings are actually still standing and pretty much just frozen in time. I know until a couple years ago, you could freely wander within, but then they had issues with vandalism. So now you have to go within a tour group. And weirdly enough, it's become a really popular filming location, which is kind of good because the donations from film companies have let the local government start repairing some of the more collapsing structures. So kind of like solidifying that history and that memorial. Gotcha. That's kind of cool. I'd I'd be interested to see all of those and, you know, the photos that you're going to share with us on them. For sure. And yeah, once I started reading, I'm like, I have to share the story because I actually took a class on um, Spanish history in college and this was never ever mentioned and that was a semester long thing and i swear half of it was about the spanish civil war so (laughs) i was surprised i wouldn't be so actually i wouldn't be surprised if there was more than one town that that happened oh i'm sure it was it was a very brutal war um if anybody doesn't know much about it the pan's labyrinth is set within the civil war so it's a pretty interesting viewpoint on it i know it's fantasy Mm -hmm. but you would get at least some of the understanding of how destructive this war was and of course we have to talk about the ghosts now so it seems like all of the ghost stories from this area are like 90 percent audible things so i was reading that there's a lot of recordings of this stuff but some of the things that people have just heard individually or that have been captured on recordings are unexplained noises Um, The clear sound of planes and bombs falling from the sky. And there is also a rumor that there is a child that is calling out for their mother that is often heard at dusk. Oh. Yeah, isn't that sad? It is. And then beyond that, there's reports that at night, like the shadows seem to kind of come to life and move of their own accord. That might just be because how creepy this place is, because basically everything stands as it was in the 1930s. So you can still see bullet holes within the buildings. Like you can see where the bombs were dropped from the airplanes onto these structures. So I'm not sure about that one, but I just thought it was a fascinating story, a very sad one, but something it's just the cost of war that you don't really think about all the time. Yeah, definitely. The history that you don't hear about. For sure. And that was my story. So less ghosty, but still interesting and creepy nonetheless. And it's a ghost town. So technically ghost is in the name. (laughs) It works. It works. Right. Yes. All right. So what do you have for us today, Abby? Yep. Perfect. I was going to say, well, with that, I can go ahead and get started. (laughs) So what I have for you guys today is it's a little bit of a short ghost story, but still interesting, I think. Um, It actually takes place a little bit north of where I live. Um, It is is in Dayton, Ohio. So I'm taking you to a place called Stiver School for the Arts. This is a school in the St. Anne's Hill School District that focuses on education in the visual and performing arts. So it was founded in 1908, though we're going to fast forward a little bit to 1920. Um, This was when a teacher named Mary Tyler was found dead in the school's indoor pool. She had a broken pointer in one hand and a locket in the other. There was a rumor that went around that this teacher had been involved in an inappropriate relationship with one of the senior students and that he may have torn his picture out of the locket to protect himself. 
that's just so crazy to me. Um, so the pool is eventually covered and topped with the classroom. It even had a trap door that leads down into the pool, but that's being used for storage. So the rumor is that Mary's ghost has been seen levitating around that area. Um, even students and teachers in the classroom over the pool report experiences like disappearing objects, temperature changes, and the lights flickering. Mary Tyler has also been spotted in other areas around the school, particularly the lower levels where she's heard wailing. So the local writer, Karen Laven, uh, she's local to the Dayton area. She wrote actually a story about this school. So she wanted to visit it herself just to, for research. And she said that the school gives off a distinctly weird vibe. And not only in the pool area where the murder happened, but just the whole school in general was very creepy. Um, she said it felt like she was being watched, almost like, like when you feel like someone's breathing on your back. That just gives me chills thinking about that. Right. Um, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find a lot of information regarding the murder or the investigation, like even anyone being responsible for it, you know, even the truth of whether or not that relationship actually existed or not. Um, I'm not sure if because the case is so old, there's just no documented information about it. But for now, Mary's poor soul will wander the halls. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to that school. No. Yeah, that's a creepy one. Yeah, yeah it was good. very short, but no, it's good. Very I liked creepy, it. I thought. <laughs> I mean, probably you didn't, you couldn't find anything in regards of her death because maybe they ruled it as an accident or something. Right. Which I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of information regarding even the death itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the manner. Just she was found dead, and she had the items in her hand. So right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's maybe oddly if, specific. Yeah. Right, it is. Maybe if one of our listeners is familiar with this story, they can email in and tell us a little more. Um, if anyone else knows anything, that'd be super cool. Cool. But for now, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to our stories. We'll be adding photos and our sources to our social media posts. If you have any comments or even suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us at caffeineandcatspod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.